G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I have a huge announcement to make. Now as you all know, I've been working on my brand new book called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And I am super pumped to announce that it is now live on my website. It is live on Amazon. So please jump over to readgoosens.com forward slash books and grab a copy today. All proceeds from the sale of this book goes to charity. So remember to jump over to read goosens.com forward slash books and get your hands on one today. Now back into the show. The biggest thing that we try and encourage with entrepreneurs is taking the time to build out a plan, um, map out the risks and, you know, build out proper budgets so that what you're doing on a market entry from an market entry perspective, you're not putting your Australian business at risk. Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with another cracking Aussie expat making a go of it here in the United States, Mr. Peter Harper. Peter is an Australian tax lawyer, international tax advisor, and market entry specialist. Peter advises entrepreneurs, business owners, private clients, family offices, private wealth managers, and listed corporations on international expansion, executive migration, cross-border mergers and acquisitions, and international estate and succession planning. He spent the most of his career advising foreign-owned businesses and expat entrepreneurs looking to break into the United States. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible insight and journey about how he came to the United States. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Peter. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Fantastic. It's great to be here. Mate, I always ask my guests when they first come on this show, rewind the clock for me, and uh, how'd you make your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh, as a kid, um, uh, selling basketball cards. Selling basketball cards, mate. And, and we make, make, a, make a good profit of that back in the day? Yeah, it was a little bit dodgy. I would actually find cards, 
find cars and go down and hustle other people on the, the schoolyard to try and get an extra quid out of them. Nice. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, walk us through your background and how you made the journey, the incredible journey to the United States and, and you know, get, get us, uh, get, get to know the, we want the audience to get to know you a little bit. So, you know, what makes you tick and, and, and how did you grow up obviously living in Australia? Tell us that journey and then how you made the, the transition into the United States. Yeah, great. So um, I, I was actually uh, born in, in, in country New South Wales uh, in a little town called Casino and uh, and sent off to boarding school. There wasn't a whole lot going on in Casino and um, in Brisbane. And, and so Brisbane was home for um, early sort of adult life. Uh, and then met my wife at the university. She was also studying law. Um, Got married at a young age and, you know, and, you know, we both thought we were um, Rockefellers. We just didn't know it yet. So we we <laughs> we, uh, we got excited about uh, moving to the US to, tr- to try and sort of start an entrepreneurial journey. And at, the, at that time, um, uh, we were both heavily involved with uh, my wife's uh, family business, Gutterback, which is an Australian franchise. Um, service-based franchise concept that um, that has had a bit of success in Australia, and that, that we, you know, we packed up and we moved to the US to really to, to originally to expand that business. And so that business now has uh, a number of franchises um, in Atlanta, or is out that gutter back, um, and then so that was the original reason. I think my wife came home from work one day and said to me, I'm leaving for the US in three weeks, what are you going to do? So so we've got a pretty good relationship. So I thought, oh, well, you know, at the time I was um, practicing law in, uh, in Brisbane, I thought I'd better work something out. So I, um, I was introduced, randomly introduced to my current business partner, John Mycarian, who was the founder of CST. And uh, he said, do you want to move to America? I'll give you 50% of business I said well 50% of nothing's not a whole lot but um, but why not I'm young and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about about a challenge so um, so yeah that was a decade nearly a decade ago that's incredible mate that, that, that's that's an incredible story it's just to I didn't even think when I first was introduced to you I thought oh this guy's definitely you know moved to the United States because of love you know that's that's how I got here you know chasing some some American girl but it sounded like your wife uh, gave you gave you the, the runaround and said, you better be on the plane with me in three weeks' time, which is bloody awesome. Um, yeah, well, it's always a woman. So I was, being, I was you know, I was, following, I, was, I was following my wife. Got it, got it. Mate, tell me, what the hell is Outback Gutterback? What is that? Uh, so it's, that we, it's, a, it's a large you know, $50,000 vacuum cleaning machine that allows you to clean gutters uh, from the ground. So you can clean up to sort of four stories. Got it, okay. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, the Americans love anything Australian. So we went, we, we chatted to some branding people and they were like, okay, you know, let's focus on the Australian piece of this. And that's the name they came up with. That's incredible. And, and, and why uh, Atlanta out of all the places you could, you could have moved to? Uh, so I started, I mean, I, I had two years in LA, three years in Manhattan and then, um, uh, you know, LA, because every, you know, most Aussies, when they first arrive in the States, it's like, okay, what's the closest place back to Australia? Uh, you know, LA or San Fran. 
Um, and that was really our kind of, that was the you know, reason we chose LA. It wasn't anything more complex than that. And then uh, CST grew pretty rapid, started growing pretty rapidly on the East Coast. Um, you know, as a firm, we've had a long connection with the financial services community. And so when we got out here and started doing business there, it sort of it, it made sense that that evolved. And so um, we moved to, uh, to New York and then... Um, and then the franchise business, uh, it eventually got acquired by another group in Atlanta, and um, and part of that, you know, part of that deal was that they required my wife to move to Atlanta. So uh, we did the reverse commute for a while, and then um, you know, in the end, I decided to make the move. But um, um, there's a lot of good stuff happening in Atlanta. I'm really, really uh, glad I made the move. Awesome. Is it a big, uh, big Aussie expat community in Atlanta? No, it's it's small. I mean, if there's a, there's really probably you know two or three thousand. Um, but it's you know the amazing thing that we found as far as you know what what our I mean we focus as a business on expat clusters, right? So if you go in any any community, I mean, Atlanta, the Greater Atlanta is a city. It's over eight million people, right? So when you think about that, you know, nearly double the size of Sydney. Um, and there's cities like this all around, you know, well, I would call category B, cat B cities, you know, that are outside the big cities that have very strong businesses. So in, in Atlanta, there's about half a million uh, German expats um, because of the auto um, manufacturing that's happening here. Uh, and there's a there's a very substantial um, uh, Indian community hmm. as far as on the tech side. So that so within our business, that's interesting for us as well. That, okay, so you encompass all um, expats, not just Aussies. Uh, but but very very interesting journey, mate. That you've come over with a large vacuum cleaning company. It's been acquired, and now you're in um, CST as a co-founder. Maybe explain to the listeners what CST is and what you do at CST. Sure. So CST is uh, you know, traditionally it's, it was an accounting firm, but today it's it's a multi multi uh, discipline practice. So we're we're we do uh, we're accounting, uh, legal, um, uh, and tax. Um, and you know, in the in the US today, we have three uh, three offices in LA, um, one in Chicago, and then um, then the, the fifth in Atlanta. Got it, got it. And and specifically focused on helping expats get into the United States or mergers and acquisitions with businesses that are foreign, you know, trying to break into the US market. Yeah, what we really focus on is the um, is the moving from A to B, right? So it's a, it's either it's an, an expat. You know, so if you think about, you know, I think at the start you mentioned when you were talking about my bio, we really, we break what we do down into, you know, what we say is sort of four groups. It's, it's uh, expat executives, uh, it's, um, you know, founder entrepreneurs, uh, it's family, family business groups, and it's, and it's um, private, primarily private um, companies. And the thing that ties them all together is that they're, you know, they're, they're uh, moving from country A to country B. Got it. Got it. And what what are you seeing the most of? Are you seeing the most of small, you know, expat, 
you know, um, wannabe entrepreneurs slash tycoons making the, you know, the jump to the United States? Or are you seeing more established businesses looking to expand their growth into the US market? What's been the, the biggest thing that you're seeing coming through your doors? Uh, I think it's, kind of, it's, it's very much evolved. I mean, you know, as we kind of grow and our experience grows and the, the, uh, the quality of the service that we deliver is, is changing and evolving, um, there's really been an evolution. But there, there, as far as the, the you know, quality is not the right word, but as far as I suppose the sophistication of what various people are doing. But I think that the one thing that I'd say is that, um, yeah, it's important probably for your listener base is that the quality of Australians that are doing stuff out here um, is phenomenal. And and when I say you know, I think a lot of people you know when you when when you when you're expanding, you know, for, for me when I was a young bloke and I was expanding and I was moving over here, it's very hard to imagine people that aren't in your own community because you might you or you're or are at a different level for you because. Um, you know, you, you may not have necessarily had that life experience yet, which which can put you in a position where you can understand that. But for me, given the exposure that I have on a daily basis to you know successful entrepreneurs and wealthy families, um, you know, I'm con- I'm consistently astonished by the caliber of people. So you know, I think that um, I'd say Australian the Australian community really does punch above its weight as far as the size and value of business they're doing in the US. Um, and their sophistication when it comes to, you know, not only doing business in the US, but do, doing business in multiple markets. Interesting. And, and are you seeing of your, we talked a little bit about well, like the expat communities that you service, are Aussies the largest or just a portion of, uh, of the greater uh, clients you serve? Yeah, for me personally, it is. But what we try and, you know, within the business, it really depends on the background, you know, so we've got you know, Jampriya Rupright is the head of our India desk. You know, she's got my sort of CV, but, you know, she's dual qualified India, US, right? So, um, so yeah, for me personally, uh, probably 70% of my client base is still um, Australian-centric, and which means that as a firm, we've really developed a, a very specific expert, level of expertise. It's like anything in life, you know, you can only get good at something if you've got enough enough uh you, you've done enough hours yeah exactly enough miles under the belt to uh to, to give you the the key person of influence status mate just in in a 30 second pitch if someone was to meet you in an elevator what would you say you do i'm always getting grief from my wife from this because she says i'm, <laughs> I'm the world's worst salesman when it comes to distilling what we do this is a, this is what we say is our value proposition we um, make life uh in business easier abroad um, for our clients, whether that's business or personal clients, and we do that by integrating their affairs in their home country with their affairs in the, the country that they're uh, expanding into. The biggest thing that I think that a lot of people really overlook when they think about expansion or moving from country to country, you know, from one country to another, there's a whole bunch of different thoughts that come into their mind. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that people 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 often overlook is this a concept of what we call complex administration, right? Is because all of a sudden, you know, even if you're not Rio Tinto or BHP, all of a sudden, if you're even if you're an expat, your your affairs haven't gone from being, you know, 
twice as complex. They've gone to being three to five times more complex just by moving from another country and having assets in multiple countries. So it's that administration piece that we say that we think is the, and anyone who's ever been through that experience talks about, hey, that it just seems way more complex than it should be. Way more complex here in the United States than it should be? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's interesting. Because when I first moved to the US, I, the whole reason I started this show was to you know, specifically talk about real estate, but like, what the hell is an LLC? What is, what is a credit score? You know, how do I get financing from local banks? It was just all these sort of things that I had to go out and learn. And again, as you say, you're, I didn't, not knowing that you, there's a company like yourself out there, I sort of had to sort of stumble forwards to, to really figure it out. But through doing this community and creating this show, it, it enabled me to talk to people like yourself who've also experienced uh, and not just Australians coming to the United States, there's a lot of expat and a lot of money that flows into the US and not also just related to real estate. And, and it's very complex, as you said, trying to get your head wrapped around it. If you have a successful business in Australia or in India or in you know the UK or wherever you come from and then trying to migrate it into the United States, or you might just be an entrepreneur looking to try and get something started, it just can seem very overwhelming at times. And um, I'm sure you've had your, your experience of seeing um, the, the ups and downs of, of entrepreneurs going through the just like this, what the hell have I bitten off more than I can chew and, uh, and you know, starting to think, you know, second guess their, their, their move to the United States. Have you seen any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, consistently. I mean, I think that's the biggest, the, the biggest, um, the biggest, the biggest thing that I, you know, I, and then I practice this every day in my life. I mean, intention, being intentional, Mm -hmm. every decision you make in business is critical. So, you know, we might get situations where someone, you know, comes to us and they're like, oh, it's the vibe. I've got the vibe. I've met someone and this guy's, you know, it's a sign I'm going to move to America and this is my budget. And, and so the, the, the thought process around it and the planning prior to making that decision, there hasn't been a whole lot of it, right? Versus, you know, the guys that we see who are consistently successful have a plan, have a business case. They might have already had, have some business within the US and, um, and they've got a very clear understanding of, even if they don't know exactly what it's going to cost, um, they've had enough experience to know that um, when it comes to marketing, when it, when it comes to going and trying to replicate a business in a foreign culture, and that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people, when they come into America, they go, okay, just because these guys speak English, they are the same as us, and, and you and I both know they're, 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 they're nothing like Australians in, in many respects, um, that, that, you know, that they don't budget accordingly. So that, you know, the biggest thing that we try and encourage with entrepreneurs is um, taking the time to build out a plan, um, map out the risks, and, um, and, and, you know, build out proper budgets so that, you know, what you're doing on a market entry from an market entry perspective, you're not putting your Australian business at risk, right? Because the biggest thing that we see, you know, and listen, for every time, every failure we see, we see, a, you know, we see a business that we see, you know, an equal number of people that have come over here and just knocked it out of the park, right? So we, we, we've seen enough of it not to, you don't get cynical where you, you know, where you sit there and say, hey, you shouldn't do these things. Absolutely, you should. I've seen enough people make a lot of money um, to be encouraged by the, the entrepreneurial opportunity that is the United States. But at the same time, the consistent theme that I've seen for all the people that have been, have been winners in America has been that they've been prepared um, for the US um, 
and and they're not and they're they're very aware of the risks. Right, and you bring up two very good points: risks and budgets. So for someone, and we're going to talk about both maybe a, a, an established business, and let's talk about the the uh, aspiring entrepreneur slash startup. Uh, two different worlds. How do you really? quantify the risks and the budgets if you have no idea about what's going on in the United States? Like, have, are, you, are people coming to you that have done their due diligence a little bit and it sounds like they're already sort of down the path or do you get a mixture of both people and, and how do you advise them on that, The even defining the risks and defining the budgets to, to get started? Well, I think if, you know, um, I'll talk about established business and then start. For established businesses that have enough cash flow, there's enough people within the community if you want Australian um, hired guns um, that have had good, solid, on-the-ground experience that understand all these issues that I'm talking about, colourful differences, market issues, that, that would, you know, that are really key. It's, it's really key to making sure that as far as your team, you're hiring, you're hiring someone right out of the gate, whether it's as a subcontractor, right, as some form of consultant or as someone who's on your payroll, that can help you quantify these things relatively quickly, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, that's, again, with, with the guys that have had success, um, they're, pull, they're pulling these resources through, you know, brains, trusts of people that have done it, been there and done it before um, uh, or, you know, or they've done it before, right? So they, they, they've done it in another life and they're doing it again. For, for startups, you know, the big thing that I... The big question I always kind of ask is that uh, is well, if you're if this is about a if, is this about an opportunity that you think only exists in America, and then if so, okay, I understand it. You know, you do the bit, you build out a budget, you do it on whatever resources you can, and you try and make it work. Or is this something that ha- have you really maxed out the opportunity that you've got in Australia, right? Um, because there's always the allure of the US, which, you know, and I went through this myself, right? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just such a, you know, it's, it's such an exciting thing that you say, okay, let's go and do it. Um, but the market's not going anywhere. And, you know, the, the focus, that I think it's always, you know, to the extent you can be, um, you can be playing with money that you, that is, that, that is, you know, spare money or risk money, right? And you can accept that you could lose it. In, in making this journey, then I think you're in a far better position than, than, than uh, starting from a position where um, you're making the investment, you're trying to have a, a, a crack at the US market um, and you can't afford to lose the cash. Right. Right. Well, I think the difference is that you've just outlined is that there's a lot of, you're just talking from the startup world because I've interviewed a lot of startup guys that compared to Australia um, and, and I would go so far as to say other countries, you know, Silicon Valley and New York are where it's at, you know, in terms of uh, philanthropy and investors. So getting your idea off the ground seems more likely than not from the international point of view I'm talking about. So hence why you'd take the risk and look at that shiny object, which is the United States and give it a crack, as you say. So do do you have any sort of advice or, you know, any comment on that? Because that's what I see. I think it's, it's really just understanding the market as far as if you take capital rating, for example, right? Cause a lot of it's, it's the really, 
you're breaking down two things. You're breaking down, you're breaking down the business opportunity. Um, and see, we've had a lot of experience with uh, a, a, a solid amount of our practice go, uh, the clients go through this exact process, right? They're saying, you know, we've raised some money in Australia. We think there's far more opportunity to raise cash in the US because they understand tech. And, you know, that we're, we're in this, we're in subset sort of, you know, digital tech where we need investors that understand us and can write big checks. There's a lot of liquidity in Australia. It's just, it's just understanding the difference between the market, right? You might be looking for high net worth individuals or private clients to write your first check rather than going to a venture fund um, or, some, or, or some other type of startup investor. Now, that's changing and evolving in Australia. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of money uh, with the, you know, the tax changes happened a couple of years back. There's a lot of money um, flowing into f- funds that are really focused on the startup communities. Um, so I, I personally, um, if you've got a phenomenal concept, it'll get funded in Australia or America. If you've got a concept that's, that's, that, you know, is either an okay concept and maybe doesn't have the sex appeal, um, then, you know, then there's, there's challenges. So there, there may be challenges, right? Or then you may just not, not have a good concept. I mean, this is, and this is the thing that we see, we've seen enough of this stuff, right? And this, 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 is, the re, this is the reality of business. Not every concept's a million, you know, a billion dollar unicorn. Um, so I think that the biggest thing that we try and talk through with, with entrepreneurs and startups is, while it's great to make you know a billion dollars and 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 we want to push everyone forward, making 150 million or 100 million is pretty awesome too if you've only invested a small amount of money. So one, we try and help them understand the opportunity. Who, you know, what is the end game in coming into the US? And then, um, if they've got a strong enough concept, they should at least be able to go through a seed round. So it's through it through, you know, a, a private capital raising in the in Australia. You know, up to the first five, five million, five, ten million. Right. So we try and get them to do. I try and get people to focus on that part of the market in Australia first before coming to America. Because you know, when I think about the American um, the capital raising in America in that community, it's really about really you're coming to America because you want someone at it that's still at a startup level in a, in a private setting to write big checks. So you're talking. You know, 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollar checks. Not, not necessarily, you know, one to 10 million dollar checks, which I think you can totally source through Australia. Interesting. That, that's a good, that's an interesting concept because I've also seen, um, with when talking to expats and particularly, you know, related to, into real estate and, and a little bit of what, what my brand is and a little bit to what sounds what your brand was originally with the gutter uh, vac, that different is better than being better. And the fact that you're Australian gives you that sexiness and that appeal. Have you got any comment on that? Because that is also something that I've seen work in a lot of startups' favours when they've come here. It may not be the most wang, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am idea, but they're still able to relatively quickly through their story of, you know, I've come from Australia to give it a crack here. That there is like, oh, you've sold me on that. And, you, you're here in America and you've got your back against the wall like a lot of expats do and you've got to make it work at no matter what the cost is because that is also um, a really something that, that inspires people to get, a, get to get off the fence and invest in a startup because I've seen that work 
very successfully, whether it be a successful marketing ca campaign, but also just a way in which you just make it happen um, because you've, you've got no other option, otherwise you're going back to Australia. Have seen any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think um, the, biggest, the biggest sort of comment I'd have on this is that my single biggest learning experience throughout my time, and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about, is a concept that I call cultural awareness. And um, I think it's directly relevant to this comment because it really depends on um, where you are within the US, right? And, um, and, uh, and, and what I think I was unaware, I mean, Australians are, we're extremely direct, generally, I think, we're we're extremely direct, right? We we don't tend to pussyfoot around. We say what we mean, um, uh, and um, depending on where you are in the United States, the way they uh, will interact with you in from a business perspective is completely different. I mean, I've heard this great comment um, or statement that uh, one of my um, colleagues used to say to me: "You say, Peter, uh, and a New Yorker will stab you in the front, and Angelina will stab you in the back." Right? And they talk about, you know, this gentleman's American and he used to say there's a lot of similarities between Angelinos and, and Chinese um, where um, you'll be in business. They'll say yes, 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 yes. And they're saying that politely. That's culturally it's them being polite where they don't mean yes. Um, they may mean no. So, you know, you might have an experience where you have seven or eight meetings thinking you're having, you're moving forward and you're getting great traction, whereas these people are just being polite. Um, and you're not getting any traction at all, right? And so, uh, and I had a, I had another uh, you know colleague of mine before who'd been involved in the movie business for a long time in in uh, California say that you know Peter, there's a there's a view that when uh, when in in some circles there's a view that when it's time to do business, you know Aussies are great to go out and have a beer with, but when it's time to do business, you know time for the Aussies to leave the room because, you know, it's the Amer Americans who are the hard workers, right? So really the point I'm trying to make is that it's critical for everyone to be aware of what the person you're meeting is thinking about, what is their preconceived notion of Australians? Now, if they've, if they've engaged with Australians in business that have been hardworking, diligent and successful, they'll have a view that all Australians, they may have a view that all Australians are like that. If they haven't, it's just as likely that they could have a view that all Australians are like Crocodile Dundee, right? So, yeah, I think, I think the Australian piece is, I think, I actually think this being Australian is, is a massive asset um, provided you're aware of how you perceive because I, I think that you have this, you can have this un underdog status where, um, uh, where a lot of Americans from a competition perspective will never see you coming. Um, but I think it is that it's hubris to think that um, that people are not that you might not find yourself in environments where you're being judged negative from a cultural perspective. Right? So it's just yeah. That, no, that's a very interesting point because you, you bring up, I hadn't even thought about it like that, but I, because I guess where I've lived and done business is in Australia, is in LA, New York and Austin uh, in Texas. And, and, you know, they're pretty multicultural cities. And as these cities evolve and as people do business, um, people are more 
excited to do business with people who are from a foreign country. Um, obviously, with globalization being you know very foreign and foremost of the of the media at, at present, uh, I definitely think you know you get the people like the Trevor Noahs of the world and um, the guy uh, what's his name G- uh, Oliver. You know, where, where there's international perspective, Ameri- and this is my this is my per- personal opinion um, that. Americans are sick and tired of being told by other Americans what to do and they're looking at an international perspective in terms of whether it be business or just how you view the world and, and sort of take the blinkers off a little bit and, uh, and understand that there's actually, you know, a lot, you know, America only makes up, makes up 5% of the world's population. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of that as well in, in my experience of doing business and, and they've appreciated that international perspective, particularly in my line of work. Um, because people, when you compare real estate investing in the United States versus Australia, there's just, you know, America is just so much better and I can explain why. And I've got that international perspective because I can understand and I can get off the fence a little quicker. And so people appreciate that. Well, hang on, if he can, if he's realizing all these awesome opportunities, why am I, why aren't I? So it's, I, I've seen a little bit of that, again, that, that the Trevor Noah-esque of the telling, not telling Americans, but, you know, getting that perspective, international perspective, which seems to be quite popular um, at, at this day and age, you know, where that changes in the next five years, maybe everyone might tell, tell you to piss off and <laughs> go jump in the lake. But uh, I've definitely been a benefit of, of that, uh, of the, the latter uh, compared to, I, I personally haven't been, hopefully I haven't been judged <laughs> and I've only been judged for good things uh, when I've done business. But it's interesting that you bring up that point of just being care, being cautious of cultural awareness and, and, uh, and doing business with Americans. Yeah, and I, but I think the biggest thing on that point, though, is, is just as I, I made the point earlier that, that um, and this is this is this is this is counsel I've had from a couple of guys that are uh, been super successful in business um, and uh, in Australia and America, and and, uh, and it's definitely been my experience. I mean, uh, you know, it, the, the and the comment that one of these gentlemen used to make was that. If you were speaking to someone in, that's in a foreign language, right? You don't, you can't understand the language. So if you were sitting down in a business meeting, um, and you had to work through a translator, and people were laughing or whatever else, there would be a element of mistrust in that dialogue because um, you um, you wouldn't you wouldn't understand what was going on, right? And and um, and so what happens? Tends to, ha- I think, tends to happen within America is that we hear the same accent, we see that we've got all these different similarities, and so there's straight away there's, you know, we're put at ease. And I think, you know, the interesting thing you brought up, and this is where I, I, I may challenge you, is that you know my experience has been been great here, but I'm in a bit of an echo chamber because 70% of the people I deal with are Australians, right? So, you know, I understand Australians, whereas um, you know, if you if you flip that and you were you were dealing solely with Americans, uh, as far as you know the 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 way in which you were trying to sell what your proposition, what you were trying to do, um, I would suspect it would be a little bit different. You know, I don't, and I don't listen. I don't think this is a neg. I'm not trying to. This is anyway in any way. Am I trying to paint this as a negative thing? I think it's actually a superpower um, being being aware of this, um, uh, and it'll help you. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, the one other thing I would just sort of say is that you mentioned New York, LA, all the big centres, I mean, that's half the country, right? Yes, I think the, the thing that, the fact that Trump, Donald Trump has been elected as president should show everyone, even if whatever the, even if people say, oh, well, the way the voting college works and whatever else is, 
um, is rigged or, or whatever statement they'd like to make, still a substantial number of the member of the country hold similar political views to Donald Trump, um, which is completely different, I would say, to how most Australians think. So, so again, you know, that's one of been one of the benefits for me of living, um, spending time in the South, is that, I mean, this place could not be more different in certain respects than, than uh, New York and California. So, um, you know, it, it is in certain respects like a different, different country. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it is really important that depending on um, where your sort of core market is in America, where you think you're going to expand to, where you're going to move to, um, that you're aware of, um, you know, what is the culture within that community and, you know, what is the best way to adapt the way in which you're selling your product to make sure you're, um, you're aware of any, any differences within that community. Yeah, no, you bring up a, a very good point and something that um, I think you touched on a little bit earlier and, and I personally experienced this. Uh, so is, is partnering with, with locals, boots on the ground, um, particularly in real estate. That has definitely been a winning strategy for me uh, personally, breaking the Texas markets um, to then bring the international perspective to, you know, because I, I deal actually with a lot of Americans, uh, more so than I do with expats, uh, just because of the nature of, of what I do. My, most, a lot of my investors are actually Americans and uh, I have a small handful of, um, of investors that are, that are international. Um, it's more from a branding point of view and, and it goes back to the story and all that great, great stuff. But having a business partner who's based in Texas, uh, who, who's from Texas and, you know, we've got similar, similar um, alignments of interests and work ethic and all that sort of stuff has been actually helped me get a foothold into a, into the Texas market that I wouldn't have been able to get a foothold into. Um, but he was very inspired by, you know, the work ethic that I had. And, and so it sounds very similar to yourself, mate, when you had that job offer to come over and take over CS, is it CST as a co-founder. Was, was he American? And, and did he, did they provide that sort of stepping stone to make it easier um, entry into the marketplace here in, in the United States? No, the, the founder was Australian, but the, ah. the co-founder, but actually one of my early, I had business was pretty slow in the first uh, 18 months until I partnered up locally with um, with a gentleman in LA and uh, and the practice pretty much doubled in the next 12 months post that it grew really quickly because it was um, while I'd met a lot of Americans and they were like okay we like you we um, you, you work hard we 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 um, we want we trust you what is that we need that final element where we can say, hey, this is the guy. And so as soon as I got that local partner that they said, okay, he's the guy that's going to bring in the, the local local knowledge, so to speak. Um, yep, local flair. Your local flair, the business went, kind of took off. And, and, and I, think, I think that that's critical on a regional basis within America. I mean, I think, um, I think that's the other thing is that given the size of the country, people are very uh, particular. Americans tend to be very particular about, whereas Australians, I think we're far more accepting of, okay, we might have an you know, accountant or a lawyer or whoever doing work for us anywhere. Uh, I think the regional, the value of someone being local within a, within a particular state or a region of a state is important. Interesting. Yeah, no, and I think that's when you're, 
getting started in uh, like yourself, you know, you, you started in LA, then moved to New York and then now getting more of a presence. I think regional is really the first place in where most businesses start, right? Because they have to have that, that local you know, X factor or the, the bloke who went to school there. Well, you know, my business partner lives in, is grew up in Austin. So like, there's just a different, I've got a, a gateway into the Austin market. That I would never have had if I tried to do it by myself. And so I, I think I'm just trying to get at it is it's very valuable and shouldn't for those people listening and wanting to break into the United States is don't ever look past a local boots on the ground guy that can help with yeah. your business growth because that can, totally. you know, like what you've just said, you, 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 you know, 10 X your, your business in an 18 month period after you brought on a local person, because as you said, it sort of ticks that box for those people in America who are Americans who are like, okay, love the Australians, love their trustworthy and all that sort of stuff. They're missing that one piece. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Tick. Let's go forward. You know what I mean? So it's sort of, it's, 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 it's weird like that. Um, but mate, I want to get into, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I want to, one request I did have from one of my um, uh, mates and, you know, potential clients he had a really interesting question about the 1031 exchange and something that um, maybe you can speak a little bit more to uh, between Australians and the United States. I was not aware of a 1031-esque type of law in Australia, but you being the expert, I wanted to first ask you that question. And then secondly, how does that, how does that affect or how does the Australian government look at um, a 1031 exchange when you sell specifically real estate here in the United States and wanting to try and roll it over into uh, into a new piece of real estate to, to scale your business because that is one of the benefits that I've found of you know investing here is that I can keep rolling over my profits and keep growing my portfolio and and hence keep growing my, my my worth over a period of time. But for those Aussies or even you know other international people who who, who may not have that 1031 esque type of rule. How are you sort of advising them on that, and what what are the sort of ramifications? Yeah, I think it's, I mean it's a it's a great question. Um, so for for everyone on the call, the the the, the ten thirty one exchange is basically a tax free exchange where you say, okay, I've got a bit of real estate worth X, I want to sell it and buy a new bit of real estate worth Y, um, uh, and to the extent there's a capital gain in the first property, you can roll that in without tax. So you can effectively defer the tax liability that would otherwise be due on the sale um, until the subsequent assets sold down the track. Um, so, yeah, it, it, for, for Australians specifically, I mean, I think this is, you know, the question was asked to me before, um, you know, what does the, the ATO think of 1031 exchange, exchanges? And my response to that was that, um, that you, what the ATO thinks is, is irrelevant. It really is... It, Australia has a very clear framework for how um, capital gains are taxed. Um, so the, the disposal of an asset um, that is owned. So firstly, Australian, Australian residents um, under Australian law are taxed on a worldwide basis on their worldwide income. So to the extent they sell a capital asset, whether it's in Australia or in a foreign country, um, uh, that capital gain um, will be liable for capital gains tax unless there's some form of exemption. Um, there's no provision under the US-Australia Double Tax Agreement which um, that says that um, a 1031 exchange under Australian law will be exempt. So on that basis, then you're, you've got to look through to the Australian tax rules as to how they would, would deal with it. And, um, and you know, the reality is, is that Australia doesn't have a, policy, a tax, tax policy that says that, that, that mirrors the US, right? So 
So you just would need to apply Australia's tax laws, which would mean that even if you were getting an exemption under US law, you'd still be liable for um, capital gains tax and any foreign currency gain um, on the on the um, rolling of the property into a new asset. Interesting. Very, and that's if you're an Australian still living in Australia or as a, a resident for tax purposes, Australia, correct? Yeah. So, so it's different for for if you're living in a country that doesn't have capital gains tax. If you, if you, so really, what basically what I'm saying is that the 1031 exchange would be available for um, for any foreigner that's looking to exchange U.S. real estate. So within the U.S., you just then have to look at the local tax rules to see whether they have a similar exemption um, or whether they don't tax capital gains tax so if you're in hong kong or singapore for example they don't there's territorial based tax systems um they don't tax foreign source income um you'd be able to do a 1031 exchange um the other thing that's important to note is you can actually get a 1030 if you're living in america you can actually get a 1031 exchange with respect to foreign real estate um but the key thing that you need to it needs to be like for like. So like if, it's, if it was theoretically, if it was Australian real estate, it would be Australian real estate for Australian real estate. And the when you are um, exchanging the real estate, it needs to flow through what's called a qualified intermediary, um, which is a strange concept in, in, a number, in many countries outside of the US that this concept of a qualified intermediary would be a, is, would be a strange concept, which is really... Um, uh, in the US is a, is a form of uh, title um, exchange. So uh, if you're looking at 1031 exchanges as with respect to real estate that sits outside the system, the first thing you need to do is find find someone that can act in the role as a qualified intermediary. Um, and then the second thing you should also be looking at is, okay, well, even if we, get the, we can do the exchange in the foreign um, country without US tax because we can satisfy the US preconditions, um, will this capital gain be taxed in the in the country where the real estate is anyway? Got it, got it. No, it's 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 very interesting to be posed those questions because um, I just deal with a lot of expats, but I now know who to send them to, mate. <laughs> and that's why we've got you on the show today is to talk a little bit about your expertise in this in this area, uh, mate. I do want to be conscious of your time. I really want to thank you for coming on the show. But before we before we uh, dive off, I do want to ask you to uh, do you want to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yes. All right, mate, what is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, so every day, so as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm very intentional. Every day um, I um, sit with my team in a morning huddle and look at our scorecard of uh, five numbers across the business that um, consists of, you know, that are directly relevant to, you know, the output of our, um, you know, our annual business objectives. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I think that's incredibly powerful to, to have that in, intention and to boot, make sure that it's putting into practice by you know, touching base with your team and making sure they're all on the same page. Otherwise, people could be going off in different different, uh, different areas. And I'm sure we could do a whole episode about how you inspire people to take action and make sure they're doing what they're doing. Um, mate, what, who is the most influential person in your career to date? I won't say it was it's anyone. It's probably a group. I'm a I'm a member of an entrepreneurs organisation. Mm-hmm. Yep. EO. Um, as part of EO, I have a forum of, um, of five other entrepreneurs that I meet with on a monthly basis, and um, uh, joined EO about 
two and a half years ago, and I'd say it's those those five guys have had had a huge impact on me. Awesome, awesome stuff. I know many people have talked about EO. I've got to got to give them a look up and uh, see if I want to join myself, uh, mate. W- having such an international business, I'm sure you'd have a very in- uh, influential tool, whether that be software or hardware related. What is the most influential tool in your business today? Uh, I would think, as far as sort of optimization of the business, I'd say um, Slack. Yes. Uh, we use it as a. It's the, probably the 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 best sort of matter management. I mean, it, my, the, my team that I am dealing with on a daily basis are, uh, are you know, between uh, US, India and um, in Australia. So um, it's the most efficient way for us to keep across, keep on top of, um, you know, all the things we do with all different time zones, the challenges that we've uh, that come fronting in global business. I love Slack is an incredible invention. And for those people who don't use it, definitely get on there and give it a try because it's free, I think. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. Mate, in one sentence, what is the biggest failure you can summarize in that sentence? And what did you learn from that failure since moving into the United States and creating a business? There's been a lot. (laughs) (laughs) If you can can boil it down, maybe it's not just your own failure, but what you see common, you know, we're talking a lot about failures earlier, but what's one word or one sentence you can, you know, as the biggest piece of advice to avoid failure? Maybe that's a better question. I think it's be, be educated. I mean, don't, you mean there's, there's, I think there's enough of a brain's trust that exists in the community that you don't have to, I mean, I think, yeah, be educated, be, be educated, don't be arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's it. Got it. Got it. Mate, where can people reach you to continue this conversation? You've been incredibly knowledgeable. You provided some absolute golden nuggets. Where can they say g'day to you at? Uh, so um, our website, csttax.com. Um, my email address is on there so you can connect with me either through the, the, the website um, or on uh, LinkedIn. And, and my email address is peter at csttax.com simple um so any any one of those um those places you'll find me awesome stuff mate well i want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day i just want to quickly summarize some of the things that i took away from today's conversation i think talking about cultural awareness is really important as anyone trying to break into the united states and i think everyone who's even if you're looking if you are american looking to do business with other americans i've even noticed that it's you know America is like the small European Union. Every state is different. So having different cultures is really important and being aware of it. Um, also, I think you, you know, hit the nail on the head with the quality of Australians that are doing business here in the United States and that are really kicking some awesome goals, I think was another one. And, and, and the, the last thing that you just brought up, which was being educated and don't be ignorant. You know, uh, Ignorance is not an excuse and, and there is enough information out there at our fingertips that you can be quite educated quite quickly. Uh, mate, did I leave anything out? No, that was perfect. All right, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Okay. Thanks, Reid. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some incredible advice. Um, please check out Peter's website at csttax.com. Uh, all the show notes from today's conversation will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. Is that we're all about here on this show? So we can do it all again next week. So take care. Be safe. Remember, happy investing. investor.